what you're about to hear is unsupervised. All right, Chowderheads, welcome back to another episode of Unsupervised. I'm your host, Adam Denhard, and joining me today is two of my cohort from the uh, Stanley Cup of Chowder blog. I got Jake Reiser with me tonight. How's it going, Jake? Still reeling from the end of that Bruins Lightning game. That was quite an intense hockey game and could be a fun playoff preview. Yeah, we'll, we'll do that once so we don't have to talk about that again more than once. Uh, and we also have with us tonight, Sean Ferris. Sean has been working hard on some, uh, some playoff preview stuff. So we'll, we'll look forward to hearing about that and reading up on it. Sean, how are you tonight? I'm doing all right. I'm a little tired, kind of caffeinated, um, but we'll, we'll make it through this. Yeah. I feel like the second period of the game tonight. Uh, so as of recording, you'll, all of you guys will probably hear this the morning after, but we uh, we're just coming off of the loss to the Lightning, five uh, four game where Bruins had a two one deficit coming out of the first, a two goal lead at four to two coming out of the second, and ended up losing, giving up three goals in the third to uh, to drop the game against the Lightning, who are leading the league still and forever, um, and so. You mentioned that this would be a great playoff preview. We probably won't end up seeing the Lightning in, until the second round, but let's talk about the game tonight, at least, about um, a couple of things that, that you guys saw tonight. Jake, did you see anything I, uh, that was concerning to you for offense? I know we talked a little bit before we started recording about the top line's playing time uh, being kind of limited last, uh, tonight. I'll give a positive and a negative for the offense tonight. My positive is to see the depth starting to kind of chip away at that stigma that they can't score. Um, love seeing uh, Charlie Coyle get his first goal in a Bruins uniform. Nice play in tight. Yeah, Marshy had two, but you know what? It's good to see other guys that aren't necessarily Bergeron, Marshawn, or Pasternak get in on the scoring game. So good for Charlie Coyle. And oh, I'm trying to remember who the fourth goal scorer was. It was Carlo. Uh, good to see defensemen, too, uh, jumping in on the rush, um, seeing guys who aren't necessarily top-line forwards take advantage and score. Uh, bad tendencies held in the offense is looking for offense when they should have been playing reliable defense. That third period was a really good lesson in trying to be a little too greedy and getting caught really far back letting Tampa's really elite offense take advantage of those miscues. That was the entire story of the third period. So good tendencies yeah. to see people who haven't been scoring as of late come back on the score sheet, bad tendencies and being too greedy when you couldn't afford to be. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think uh, for offense, the, the depth has been kind of coming along, like you said, um, and, I was a little surprised to see that I think Carlo was just as guilty as, you know, McAvoy in the third period um, of, of doing those unnecessary jump ups, you know, like you said, pinching when they probably shouldn't because um, Carlo had another clear shot after he scored his goal sometime in the third and he um, totally whiffed on it, you know, when a mile wide or I don't, I don't know where the puck ended up, but it sure as hell wasn't on net. Uh, John, what did you have to? What do you have to say about tonight's game? What do you think? Um, I think 
I mean, the Bruins had a had a very good second period, and and they got rewarded for for that um, scoring three goals and taking a commanding lead going into the third, which you know they eventually lost. But um, I thought it was a it was a more even. I mean, the scoreboard, if you just looked at it at the end of the game and didn't know about the collapse, you'd think it was a pretty even game. And I think it was a fairly even game. I don't think they got dominated or anything like that. Um, even in the third, really, I think uh, Tampa had a few good, good chances. Um, but I thought it was a pretty even matchup. And our colleague uh, Colin, you know, tweeted out before the Bruins collapse that you know this would be a really good playoff matchup. That was a really entertaining game to watch, and I think I agree with that. I think both teams played really fast, pressured the puck really well. Um, Connor Clifton also had a really good game tonight, in my opinion. I think he was really good at defending zone entries from Tampa Bay and not allowing them to have too many chances on the rush uh, when he was on the ice and also kind of defending the slot as well. Um, it wasn't as bad of a game as it feels right now. Um, obviously, it feels awful blowing a 4-2 lead in the third period, but um, I'm – looking forward to if they beat the Maple Leafs in the first round of the playoffs, you know, seeing a uh, rematch in the second round of the playoffs. You know, Clifton's playing the game. I wish more AHL recalls played. He's not playing like he's an AHL recall, just there temporarily not trying to rock the boat too much. He's playing like he knows that they're relying on him to uh, play at the NHL level and he's doing so he's being aggressive. He's taking risks calculated risks that are paying off he's not being too damaging to his team i wish more players who came up played with the confidence that he's been playing with as of late yeah i thought clifton had a great game too he um the confidence kind of got him in a little bit of trouble i feel like bruce kind of pulled back on the reins a little bit and kept clifton uh, the shift's a little shorter. I think he, they gave him isolated incidents where he was able to have an impact on the game. One that I think that he that they probably would have liked to get him off the ice a little sooner, but that I think Clifton played really well was that um, the double minor to Pasternak towards the end of the game where he has had his stick on the puck over and over again, just t- tipping passes away or, you know, knocking it loose if, Tampa was trying to cycle it behind the net. Um, he did miss on a couple of clearing attempts, so that kind of stung him, but he was able to stay focused and and really, I thought, played the opposite side of, uh, of a penalty kill pretty well. That shift on the double minor from Pasternak between Clifton and Carlo was a minute and 45 seconds, which is insane. And the fact that they were still standing, both Jack and Brick said, I can't believe they were still upright after that shift. That was a really intense shift, a minute and 45 in the defensive zone. Really tough on them. A way to go for the both of them. Yeah, they yeah. had a they had really to, needed to platoon after John Moore went down. Um, though, for somehow Stephen Camper still only ended up with just over thirteen minutes worth of ice time. But uh, Clifton played twenty. Carlo played twenty seven. McAvoy was just under that, um, and they even managed to get Chara over. 20 minutes he was you know approaching 24 um so the the defense definitely had to step up tonight and i thought like you said clifton was a good example um 
And I thought Camphor did all right on the power plays, but I, I am glad that they kind of limited, limited him elsewhere outside of that. Uh, interesting, so, interesting yeah, go ahead, statistic for, before we go on, because uh, I better to look at this. Um, so Clifton played two minutes and 45 sec, uh, 49 seconds at, on the penalty kill tonight. And when he was on the ice, the Bruins only allowed one shot attempt, which, I mean, that for being on the ice for basically three minutes on the penalty kill and only allowing one shot attempt, um, and the Bruins' PK tonight, I thought, as a whole, was pretty good. I mean, that's pretty uh, impressive, in my opinion. It's a tough yeah, loss, but I think if you put it into perspective, a team that's setting records, 120 points, 122 points now and counting, and to make it feel like an even game, I feel like that's an accomplishment in and of itself. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> So let's move on real quick. We talked a little bit about a playoff preview. We can come back to uh, the second round maybe in a couple of weeks. But now that we're approaching the end of this regular season, we got just a handful of games left. Um, And I'll just run down it quick. We got the Rangers coming up on Wednesday, Florida and Detroit over the weekend, and then uh, Columbus, Minnesota, and Tampa to round it out the following week. So um, some some winnable games here. Um, how would you guys so how would you guys prefer that the Bruins approach this next week? We know that there's uh, we'll touch on some of the defensive injuries that we might be getting back. Um, but how do you think the Bruins should approach having clinched the playoffs already? Do they do they rest top line players? Do they rest Tuca? How do you how do you think this is going to play out here? You have to cautiously keep the pedal to the metal. Obviously, you don't want you to injure anybody by overworking them and putting them in compromising situations. But you've got Toronto only five points behind. Home ice advantage in that series is going to be really important. So if you can just keep plugging forward and make sure you get home ice advantage, and even still beyond that, teams who are confident in winning going into the playoffs, I feel like have a higher rate of success, at least through the first round. So if you can go and feeling confident about yourselves and geared up and not having rested and not feeling like you have to rev the engine again to finally get it back going, I feel like that plays more as an advantage rather than resting your guys, kind of taking your losses when you can get them and making sure that everybody stays healthy. I'd rather they keep going the way they are. Yeah, it's a toss up between sharpness and, and rest. I, I, I hear you there. Um, I, I personally think that maybe letting Yarrow start, uh, you know, the, the bulk of the games over the next week is going to be helpful. But other than that, I don't disagree. I think pulling too many people out of a lineup is, is a bad idea. Not that they really have the option to do that anyway. Um, but if they were to rotate through a couple of the veteran players over the next week, maybe one a game, I, I don't see any issue with that. And I don't think that would really mess with chemistry too badly. Our compadre, Colin Beswick, certainly wants to see Halak starting a lot more games. <laughs> Quite the advocate for him starting over Juka. At least in the next week. I hope I he's not advocating as a playoff starter. Oh, I would hope not. <laughs> Colin, we still love you. It's okay. Um, John, how about how about your thoughts on the next couple of days? Next I mean, couple of games. I uh, I'd say I agree. 
I think Jake actually worded it pretty well. It's kind of a, it's a careful balance, right? Like you don't want to like, you know, tonight was unfortunate because there was an injury. And so you needed guys um, on the back end, especially to step up and play a lot of minutes. Uh, Carlo playing 27 minutes, um, you know, but you prefer to even out the ice time a little bit. Like you want to make little adjustments, um, to kind of ease into the playoffs in terms of um, like usage, but you also don't want to sacrifice to the point where you're almost playing like preseason games. So you still want to win. You still want to play really well. You just want to sort of change the usage maybe slightly. Um, so there's, you know, so you take advantage of the easier schedule as well um, and sort of, rest into the playoffs and make sure everybody's healthy. Uh, I mean, that's impossible, but the healthy players now, you want them to stay healthy um, and have energy going into the first round. Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting opposite to see too, because this is something that our counterparts at Raw Charge wrote about in the last couple of days, um, that uh, at least one of their authors thinks that they should uh, ramp up the playing time of some of their star players. And so like, if we're talking, you know, Brandon Carlo played 27 minutes, which is, you know, a lot for a defenseman. So did Kucherov. And he was, you know, out there for pretty much any situation and literally almost played half a game as Carlo. So um, do you think that that's works against Tampa in this case, or, or do you think, uh, I think it was, George at Raw Charge that was arguing that they should try and add ice time for those players so that they're ready for a grind of a playoff game and aren't gassed after, you know, playing over 20 minutes for the first time this season. I mean, personally, I mean, we don't have enough evidence to show like which way would work, right? Like that it's always something like this is always just kind of a theory and like where you fall on it. And so I understand, you know, where he comes from with the idea that um, it's almost like running a marathon, like you need to like steadily prepare yourself. I understand that argument. Um, yeah, but I've, like the NBA, I think they've put the most research into this. Um, obviously, a different sport, different types of injuries occur in that sport. Um, I know the Maple Leafs, uh, you know, who are you know Bruins' rival and counterpart in the first round series have also put in a lot of research into this and like they haven't been practicing as much and whatnot they have a sports scientist who kind of takes care of like resting players um and I've always been more of an advocate for rest and but I understand like the other side and so I think it's a it's probably a healthy balance um and it's just sort of like I've always been on the rest side but if if you're into preparing yourself for um, more minutes, then you don't want to ramp up minutes too much, right? So like, you know, you might want to have like a minute increase per game, maybe a little extra practice, like whatever is, you know, that slight increase instead of something like rapid. Obviously tonight was a complete outlier because John Moore went down early in the game. Um, But yeah, I think, I think you want to control ice time. In my opinion, you want to rest, but if you want to get ready and increase minutes, I think it still needs to be kind of slight. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting. That it's a good comparison to to a marathon, I guess, because I it, I would honestly lean the same way, where you prepare for something and and add time, but towards the end, like this, you know, maybe this last week, you taper in a you know super serious endurance sport and and would you know really maybe not super significantly but would roll back on mileage or, or yardage or whatever that sport is um for hockey since the playoffs are really you know a whole entire second season i i think i would agree with you at least for for myself i would prefer to rest and i i would prefer players be able to rest if, if it's going to be another you know month and a half grind through you know, the harder games that, that these players face. Yeah, I think incremental rest is going to be important here. You can't just drop guys 10 minutes tonight. I think that's asking way too much for them to be able to put back on once you get into that grind of the playoffs. And you have to remember, the playoffs is such a different animal. You get such hard forechecking, such intense play. The games emotionally are slogs, let alone the physical attributes that make playoff games completely different. So incremental rest just to make sure that these guys can save their legs for the games when not it not necessarily matters less but that you've clinched a playoff spot and you feel comfortable taking off some minutes but just knowing that they've got to keep their legs going as much as possible so that way they can still play at optimal performance from game one rather than having to ease into games two and three yeah absolutely uh, and so it's something that concerns me the most at least and you know maybe it's because I might be closer to his age than the rest of the players on the Bruins roster but I worry about rest for Big Z um, I know he signed another contract and that he's effectively you know negating the effects of time um, but the problem now is you know with more going down and we still have uh, Kevin Miller, Tory Krug, Matt Grizzlick all technically still on the shelf. Um, it looks like we're going to get a few of those guys back over the next couple of games. And I'm really hoping that it's sooner rather than later because the first few of these, you know, last week's worth of games are against competition that I'd be fine with uh, 90% Tory Krug or, you know, an 80% of a Matt Grizzlick. Um if it meant that Chara might be able to sit. Now, I'm not saying rush them back from injury, but if they're otherwise healthy and just need to get back to game speed, I would like to see Chara take a seat for at least a full game, uh, if not to see some reduced minutes, though that's kind of difficult with the size of a roster. Um, what do you guys think about this this injury slate? You know, it feels like it's been literally a revolving door for the Bruins this year. Um, who do you think we're going to need the most come the end of next week when, when the playoffs are going to start? First off, which Boston sports athlete is um, defying father time better, Tom Brady or Zidane Chara? The fact that Chara at, was he, 41-42 can play such high minutes and still play at a decent NHL defenseman level I think is really impressive and should be noted as much as we all love Tom Brady. Um, the injuries are killer as much as one Boston sports writer tonight likes to think that John Moore's in, uh, injury is impactful as, as Sean Corrales. I almost think it's better for the Bruins that they'll get Grizz back. Hopefully they've got Vakanainen. Uh, Krug will come back. They have defensemen who are better than Moore, 
who are coming back and can make an impact in the lineup, in the transition game, in the offense of this team. Um, Crowley kills. Crowley really hurts. Someone who played high energy, someone who can move the puck around well with a smart hockey IQ, someone who could play on almost any line, at least for a few minutes as a stopgap, versatile player. That's an injury that really hurts for me. Yeah, I think getting the defenseman that we're planning on getting back over the next week into the lineup, we've, you know, when when Moore was acquired, we kind of ho-hummed about the contract, but we knew that he was going to be, or at least we figured that we he was going to be a, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh defenseman. And so, as you know, if everybody was healthy, would Moore have been playing? Now, it's, I think it's really unfortunate that he got hurt because I think he was other than some really obvious mistakes with him and Camper on the ice in the lightning game tonight. Um, I thought that he is doing a decent job of being that stopgap and would have slid out of the lineup again anyway. And I, I don't know that, you know, if you guys feel differently or, um, or what you think about it, but I, I, I do agree that Corrali was a big loss um, if only that it kind of pulls a little bit of the energy out of the third and fourth line. Um, you know, you, you said, Jake, that he could move around, but I would honestly think he'd be better suited fully engaging in that role and just adding a little bit of, you know, you can call it grit or sandpaper or hustle or, or whatever, but that, that dimension of his game is going to be super valuable when he is able to return. Oh, I think Sean is definitely a fourth line player, but it's when the Bruins are down by two and Bruce goes into panic mode that Sean becomes the guy that's a little more versatile and can move up and down the lineup to help supplant some of that energy loss. And I mean, at the very fourth line player, (laughs) third line, I would rather say. I think he's playing really well. I'll give him that, and it really sucks not having him. The the traditional fourth line, but what's effectively been the third line for the Bruins this year, right? Because they just get used more, which would make them the third line. I I, I guess I agree with you there, Sean. And we'll see how that forward construction ends up, too, with uh, Marcus Johansson coming back at some point in the next week. Yeah, I mean, I think the Corrali line – assuming we see it again um because i think i mean the lines are still really up in the air right now like we really haven't seen a regular lineup in a little bit um but if they keep that if they keep corrali achari and wagner together like it's been most of the year um bruce has been using that as more of like a matchup line I don't know if anybody's noticed that he got matched up against ovechkin or they got matched up against ovechkin um, I think they got matched up against the Tavares line a little bit against the Leafs. I think it was a mixture between that and Matthews. I mean, they typically face, you know, at least decent competition. Bruce really likes them. Obviously, they're really effective on the forecheck. Um, they don't really score goals, but they don't allow goals either. So, like, I think Bruce really likes that as a um, – for matchups. And – when you can match them up and they kind of control play against other top lines, then you can create mismatches. Um, you know, you're talking about now we have crew, uh, Krug. We have Coil as like a third line center. So hopefully that third line um, 
is better. We haven't, he went up to the second line, obviously for a little bit, we've had some line jumbling around, um, you know, but hopefully you can create mismatches with matchups if that's the case. So, yeah, I mean, I think Corrali um, is a very impactful injury and hopefully when he comes back, um, the Bruins will benefit. Yeah, I agree too. I, but I'm wondering who's going to have a, who do you think is going to have a bigger impact when they come back from injury here? Cause I know, um, we, we were, a lot of us were raving about Grizzly when, when he went down and how his play had been, you know, quietly stellar through the majority of the season. Um, I think the power play could use a jump and either he or Krug could give that a spark. Um, if anything that lets Steven Camper sit down for a little while again, um, what are you, what are you guys feeling about plugging somebody back in on the, on the back end and, and having a, I don't know if it's an immediate impact, but, but an implication on, on how they're going to perform against the tougher competition, you know, when they get the, the Leafs a couple of days in a row. I mean, I mean, I don't know if we're, if we're talking about Krug being injured now, cause he's supposed to be coming back. What Wednesday? Like he, he's think, only out short term, right? Yeah. I think he and Johansson were back Wednesday. Um, and maybe Grizz and Miller over the weekend. Yeah. So I think, you know, Krug is only out short term, but that's um, that's a big gain to have him back for obviously power play reasons. Um, and then, yeah, I think Grizz, like, I don't, I wasn't, I haven't been too fond of Kevin Miller this season. I definitely was last season. I thought, I thought last season he was almost like what, uh, Carlo is this season like really dependable defensive defenseman who can move the puck up um, but Kevin Miller's kind of been in and out with injuries and whatnot this season as well so we haven't really seen a whole lot of Miller but I think you know crew coming back will be huge for the Bruins um, especially with more going down and then having Grizzly come back who's a good transitional player um, will definitely help and also balance out the handedness as well. Cause I'm not a super fan of having two right-handed defensemen on the same pair, uh, especially, I mean, Carlo and Clifton are really dependable, but um, they're not like the most skilled. And so I really would prefer them to be on their strong side. I don't want anybody playing their offhand. Yeah, what did you think of Clifton on his offside tonight? Because I, I didn't, I personally, I didn't notice until uh, somebody on the broadcast crew mentioned it that I that he was playing on his offside. So I didn't see a, a major change in his game, uh, but I maybe his game didn't change, and maybe he just happened to be a little more effective tonight. I mean, I think you- he he plays all right still on his I mean the effects are sort of minimal um of like moving to your offside but I think especially in the offensive zone getting the puck at the point it's a lot harder when you're on your offhand in my opinion like if it's coming off the wall you need to grab it on your backhand and then bring it back to your forehand I think that's a lot harder move than when it's already on your forehand and now you skate away from the wall um, it's just kind of like that added moves and just kind of like the way 
you might receive pucks. It's it's just a little uh, – there's small moves that are added that I think just are – it just makes it slightly more difficult. So, I mean, he can handle it. I would just prefer a left-hand defenseman on the left side. Yeah, Grizzlick and Miller as a third-line defensive pairing makes me feel a lot more comfortable than Connor Clifton on his off wing as well as he seemed to play tonight and Steven Kempfer. That's all I have to really say about that. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think getting these guys back in the lineup is going to be key. Um, let's, uh, let's give a little playoff preview preview here. So we talked a little bit about Toronto. Um, and, and Sean, you were talking about using the, the third or fourth line, the, the Corrali line as a matchup line in the playoffs. How do you think the Corrali injury is going to change how Bruce deploys those wingers? Because if they're, if they're centered by, I think, I think Coyle was doing okay, but I don't think that was really the, the combination that he was using. I think, Wag, correct me if I'm wrong, but that Wagner, Achari, and Bacchus were still glued together for most of it. Um, do you think that there's another forward that can take up some of what Corrali would offer? Is, is Kuhlman making enough of an impression on you to, to give a little more energy to that, to that matchup line? Mm, I'm not sure if, well, we're going to have Johansson back, right? So, and he's probably going to play with Krejci. So slot it, slot that in. And so the third line would be Coyle, Heinen, and was it Wagner? Because Bacchus is with uh, Chari and Nordstrom, I would assume. Bacchus so, is riding the pine up on the press box. Well, with a healthy Corrali, I don't think he's coming out of the lineup for playoffs. Yeah. So I think if you're looking at a line of Coyle, Heinen, and Wagner, I think that's still a good matchup line. I think they could offer um, a similar, similar sort of um, game that would slot in with Corrali and Achari there because Heinen's a terrific forechecking forward as well. He just forechecks – well, he forechecks very similar to Corrali, so it sort of coils a little bit different than Achari. Um, but I think that line sort of can fit for a, for a uh, matchup line. The thing is, is, is Corrali, Chari, and Wagner have so much chemistry, it, which is pretty important when you're talking about forechecking, uh, especially when the Bruins deploy a two-on-two. Uh, generally, you kind of need that third, that high forward, the F3, to be making reads and kind of know um, like where the puck's going to generally be in, in players will force the puck um, in certain ways and other forwards will do it differently, if that makes sense. Um, so I think maybe the chemistry is a factor there, but I think Heinen and Corrali are very similar in the way that they're very good four checkers. It's just sort of coil is different than Achari, but I would say coil is better than Achari. So I'd assume that that would work out better. Yeah, I've been I've been liking uh, somebody put it 
best on Twitter, so I'll just try and quote it, but that he's passing an eye test for me. Um, just in terms of his positioning on the ice, I did notice a few times against Tampa tonight that he was um, he was in the right place to make a play. I just don't know whether it was a Swiss cheese stick that he was using tonight, but that he never uh, until until the puck found him, you know, alone one on one with Vasilevsky. I thought the puck was just bouncing over his stick most of the night, and so he would be in a position to like make a neutral zone pinch and take the puck away from some somebody on the lightning and you know snuff a play out but the puck would still get through and get to the winger on the blue line and they'd dump it in and then you know tampa would chase and cycle again um it's interesting to, to think that he might actually be a fix that you know maybe not permanently but that something that the bruins definitely were needing and now that players are starting to come back. I'm hoping that it does settle into, uh, you know, a line where he and eventually maybe Corrali will join them. Um, and being, and that, you know, I think they're both good at being in, in a good place to make a play. Okay. Jake, who would you, who would you say, uh, is there any, any argument in, in John's logic? Do you think there's a different line uh, that might be able to take some of that shutdown role or some of the, um, the matchup role, I should say. No, I think that Sean makes a lot of sense. Um, Crowley bring that energy. Um, Danton Heinen, I think, is finally getting praised for the work that he does, and that, that is showing up on the scoreboard. But I would like to see Heinen in an upper echelon shutdown line with Krejci, um, knowing that Krejci can't necessarily bring the offense all the time, and as much as that puts pressure again on our top line to score, I think that second line of DeBrusque, hopefully driving more offense, Krejci and Heinen being responsible forwards, not necessarily too defensively minded, not necessarily too offensively minded. I think if you're going to start to shut down two, you need to do it from the top bottom with what you can do. I love the idea of having a third and fourth line be shut down because that's what you really need them to do and rely on your top two for offense. But I think if you want to set the example, that second line is also a really good one to look at. So would you put Coyle... Or, I'm sorry, you, would you put Heinen back up with Krejci and DeBrusque and, and try and balance each line of having that, you know... I would, I would almost... I would almost dual, I, would, I would dual shift. I would start the game with Heinen on that second line, see how Heinen's playing, see how Mojo's playing, and then kind of work from there. And just swap the two based on what they need out of the line. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I work. think... I think Johansson, I really like Johansson with Krejci because I think they play sort of similar games. They're very possession-based and good. they're very good in the cycle. Um, I'm not sure if that's something like the Bruins really sort of looked into before they brought him in or if more likely he was probably, you know, a last resort after Simmons went off the board. Um, but they play very similar. They love to possess the puck from the defensive zone all the way through. Um, and so they kind of, and they're a little bit slower with that too. They prefer like sort of short passes. They don't really stretch the play. And then they're very good in the cycle. And I think that's something, especially with Jake Dabrowski, I think that's something that you really need is to be able to kind of control the puck down low in the offensive zone. Um, obviously, Mojo's not really like a strong physical guy. He's good at getting two pucks quickly and sort of playing off of his teammates. And so I think offensively, 
it's sort of a better fit with Johansson on that second line, but defensively it's better with Heinen probably. So like Jake said, it could be a mix and match of like what you kind of need out of the, out of the lines. So, I mean, just a little added commentary to that. But you're not wrong there. I mean, you can't score unless you have the puck. So having two very possession heavy guys on the same line certainly works in their benefit. Yeah, especially now that you, if you're, you know, hashtag small sample size. But I do, I do agree that those games that Johansson did get to play before he got hurt, uh, he and Krejci did look like they meshed pretty well together. And so if you have a, you know, going back to what Sean was saying, or well, maybe you both said it, but um, the uh, the the idea of having top two lines that can be scorers and bottom two lines that are, um, that are you know match up and and shut down defensive lines. Um, the fact that the first line, you know, we know they can own the puck and, and possess the puck and will not struggle with that. I think it would be great for the Krejci line to add that dimension and to bring Johansson back into the lineup. I think you're right. We'll, we'll definitely help with that. I just wonder if it's, if it's I'm wondering if we need to top load the top two lines with that kind of, you know, real possession skill, or if we need to, if the Bruins need to stretch it down the lineup a little bit. And then like you suggested, Jake put Heinen on the second line to give that line, some of the defensive, you know, prowess that it might need and add Johansson to the third line to give that line a little bit more control. And whether, you know, which of those, is, like, again, like you said, Sean, it's going to depend on what the matchup is, uh, what, the, what the lines actually need to accomplish. So it's going to be interesting to see. You know, the real matchup here is Brad Marchand and the Twitter machine against the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> That's going to be, uh, I'm wondering if, if dad is going to shut him down. If, uh, if Charles going to make him, you know, make his Instagram private before the playoffs start. Charles certainly want to do something like that. Certainly want to wrangle. Uh, funny story from the press box of last year that Marshawn had almost skipped out on his uh, press um, briefing after the game, after a win. And Chara pulls him through the locker room by his ear and says, no, 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 you go speak with these nice media members. They came all the way down here to see you. I feel like he could actually <laughs> do that in a serious role and be like, no, 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 this is how we're going to go into the playoffs. I feel like it's going to be, you know, as soon as Brad actually posts, you know, something that's beyond just, uh, what'd you call it earlier, Sean, cringeworthy. It's like, eh, why would you post that? Uh, As soon as it's something that goes further than that, he's just going to fold Marshawn's phone in half. And it's probably an iPhone, so we we all know he can do that. Hulk smash. Hulk smash. I mean... It's good. There, there's pros and cons to the – I mean, I think all the players are getting a little bit more active on their social media. And so I think there's, you know, pros and cons to that. Obviously, you want to – it engages the fans. Like, the players are engaging the fans. And, you know, as a Bruins fan, you really like to sort of see, like, the personal side of these players. And, I mean, for the players as well, like, it builds a brand. And Brad, especially over like the last month, has really been trying to build his brand, um, especially like as more of a like 
family guy and also like, <laughs> you know, like a good teammate. Which sorry, like, I can't I help mean, it. I mean, prior though, like his his brand really has been like this like um, big like chirper. Like he's he's like a nasty, intimidating sort of player, and so he's like trying to move into as he hits his like second stage of his career, or maybe it's the third trying to move more into like a different sort of image. Like his first Instagram post is like him, his wife and his daughter, you know, and like a lot of it, a lot of his Twitter has been, you know, like chirping a little bit with like Tori Krug, but like in a nice way. And then he had the, was it Instagram today with him, Bergeron and Pasternak? I don't know. I, I think, I think part of it, it's more, he's trying to sort of change his image a little bit. Um, but we'll see, been... if, we'll see if he gets to a, to a point where it's cringeworthy and where someone needs to step in. Let's hope not. Cause I think, I think having more access to players like this, um, especially where it's not like a super heavy lift for them, you know, where they're, they're able to engage with fans without having to do event after event after event. Um, which is awesome. You know, I think it's great to see this stuff. I, I, I find it funny that you're, I, I, I don't want to accuse you of cherry picking, but I, I, I am accusing you of cherry picking the, uh, the, the posts that you're pulling out are the ones that were family oriented, but he was super proud of that uh, best and worst chirping award that he got, um, <laughs> which is so it's, you know, right on brand, but you know, whether he's trying to be a little jokey about it and just like own that, yeah, he's he's owned the 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 nastiness that he has become known for, uh, and and like you said, I think I think it would be great if he can stick to, you know, just being accessible and not too much more than that. Chirping your teammates is, I think, hilarious. I, I worry that he's gonna start picking battles uh, over Twitter with people that like he didn't, you know, played in juniors with or something like that that he's going to just start annoying people off the ice and it's going to creep back into on ice, you know, altercations or whatever, which I I have a hard time believing that social media among professional athletes would actually do in a, you know, on ice or on court product. But I, 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 that's being naive. I think if, if, if you're really considering that, you know, these players see each other often enough, I mean, you're right. As long as it doesn't get into, I'm going to chirp you because you did something really bad to me last night or you were just annoying me last night on the ice or, yeah, I'm going to chirp you because you were a bad player to me in juniors or you said something really mean to me on the street last week. That's when it gets really creepy and out of touch. As long as he's just kind of having fun and his teammates are okay with all the chirping towards them, I think that's totally fine. And if it brings the locker room together, it brings the locker room together. Yeah, which it looks like it has been doing. I think I think they've been engaging in in fun banter, which is, like I said, it's it's fun to fun to watch as a fan, and um, and and it's it's good access, I think. Uh, so we wanted to give you guys a chance to uh, get back to your Tuesday a little earlier. So we're going to wrap it up now. Um, just wanted to say thanks again from all of us at. Stanley Cup of Chowder for those of you that you read with us and 
for everybody that's been listening to the podcast. We appreciate it. Don't forget to get out there and subscribe to the podcast on we're on, we're on all the major services or however you prefer to do it. We're not going to judge you. Um, and if you want to get a hold of us, you can always uh, add us on Twitter at, at Cup of Chowda for the main blog, at SB Unsupervised for this podcast. Um, or you can find Jake at Jake Riser and Sean at the Sean Ferris. Um, I am at Nanya Business. And uh, thanks from all of us. And let's get ready to put a bow on the regular season.